Let's go. <laughs> wow. What a joy it is to gather together as the people of God, whether you're here in this room or you're in the courtyard or you're joining us uh, online. Thank you for joining and gathering here to raise up the name of Jesus in this place. The battle belongs to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to continue our series through the book of 2 Timothy, looking at this idea that it is worth it. That the risk to follow Jesus wherever we go, wherever we may be, is worth it. It's worth the risk. We've been talking about here in 2 Timothy. So I invite you in just a moment to turn there. But before you do, look at this photo on the screen. Oh. <laughs> this little mini vampire loves the summers of Orange County. Is that true? <laughs> it's only about six millimeters in size, but it creates quite the annoyance. I don't know if you know this, but when we itch from one of their bites, it's not because of the actual bite, but it's because of the saliva that this creature puts into our skin. <laughs> I'm talking about, what is this? It's a mosquito, which in Spanish means little fly. Now, there's a little tension in the Doan family right now. My wife, Marie, and our four kids have been, getting, have been getting eaten alive this summer by mosquitoes. The entire family is attracted, or mosquitoes are attracted to them, except for me. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but all five of them have been itching all summer, and I'm just here living my life. This is great here this summer. How many of you, if there's one mosquito within 10 miles, you'll be bit by it? Okay. How many of you maybe are more like me? You could walk into a greenhouse of mosquitoes and walk away unscathed. Okay, do you feel the judgment from the rest of the people here on that? So why are mosquitoes attracted to some and not others? Uh, maybe that's beyond my education or knowledge. Why am I talking about mosquitoes to open our time in 2 Timothy? Well, trust me, last week we talked about roly-polies, and that made a little bit of sense. So, okay, let's just, just go with it for a minute. But like mosquitoes are attracted to some people, our lives of following Jesus, our, our faithful walk with Jesus should attract certain things. Or to be more specific, should attract certain people. And by the word attract, I'm not talking about a romantic attraction. I'm talking about attracting, like, like people should see a Christian's life and be curious and want to know more and say, I, I want what you have. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3 will talk about that here today. That this idea that a faithful Christian life attracts followers. But it also gives us a pretty sober warning that if you live a life in faith to Jesus, in your everyday life, that not only will you attract followers, those that want the same thing, that, that want Jesus, but you'll also attract foes. Meaning people that are opposed to the things of Jesus and therefore are opposed to you. You might not even have to say anything, but there'll be people that are drawn towards you, that there's just something about you that they're just angry about. You're a natural enemy of them because in their mind you're limiting their freedoms or their way of life. 
And so that's what this passage clearly teaches us. That in our faithful lives to Jesus, we'll both attract followers and foes. And so turn to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy as we continue in this wonderful book. Chapter 3, verse 10 is where I want to point us to to begin our time. And if you could help me advance the slides, my wonderful tech people. Chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. So this is Paul speaking. And a reminder, Paul is in prison as he's writing these words to young Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, now you followed. You followed these things in my life. The, the word follow is uh, in the original language means literally to follow in someone's footsteps. And so picture a, a little child at the beach and their parent is walking ahead of them and the parent is making footprints in the sand and the child following a few steps behind them is trying to mirror their walk and step in their footprints. That's what Paul is getting at when he's telling Timothy, now you've, you've been following me. If we live a Christian life, there should be people who, who look at our life and go, wow, I, I want that. I, I want what, what, what they have, what, what they're living for. And so this is Timothy to Paul. He's following in his footsteps. But specifically, Paul gives these seven characteristics of what Timothy is following in him. Now, if you look at chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, you see in the first nine verses, which we talked about last week, that it lists 19 characteristics of the person who loves themselves over God. And now, contrasting to that, Paul is saying, hey, here's seven things that characterize, that mark someone who doesn't love themselves over God, but, but loves God over self. And, and Timothy, you can look into my own life to see these things. The first is teaching, that Timothy's gotten to see up close Paul's teaching. Teaching on what? Teaching on the good news of Jesus, the, the gospel. Wherever Paul goes, it's not very long before he's talking about Jesus. Talking about how Jesus has come into this world to save sinners, who, who Paul says, I am chief of, I am the worst offender of. But Jesus even saved me. And Timothy watches Paul's teaching on the good news, the gospel of Jesus. But then also, Paul demonstrates his conduct to Timothy. He's saying, follow in my footsteps when it comes to how you live the life. In a sense, off the stage. Isn't our world craving and looking for people who not only preach Jesus, but live Jesus too? Isn't that true? That there's no dichotomy in that. A few weeks ago, I was at one of my son's Little League games. And we saw a family who we were on a team with a couple years prior. And so we went over to the other side. It was a little scary walking to the other side of the field. And, and just greeted them and had a nice time catching up. And uh, I'm always looking for Jesus moments where I can, like, mention something to somebody. And uh, so uh, they're going, how are you guys doing? I'm like, well, our church is now open. Calvary Church, 1010 North Tustin, uh, Santa Ana, take a ride on there. And, and, 
And the mom of one of our little league kids goes, aren't there just a bunch of hypocrites in church? I was like, whoa, okay, let's start there. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, and I don't know, maybe this is the Holy Spirit leading me, but I said, there are. <laughs> and I said, I'm actually probably first in line of that. A lot of times I'll preach at my church and then I'll go home that afternoon and I'll snap at one of my kids or I'll be grumpy to Marie or I'll live something at home that I'm not actually telling the church to do. And I'm like, I need Christ. I need Jesus in my life. And then there was a hit and we kind of got distracted and watched that. <laughs> but how can our conduct match up with what we teach The world is hungry and looking for people who have those two things sync together. And Paul's saying, you can look at my conduct and you can follow that. And you can look at my purpose. My purpose is to bring glory to Jesus. And all that I do, Paul's not here for his platform, for his likes on Instagram. He is here just to bring glory through his life to Jesus Christ. Timothy, you can follow that. And then faith. Paul counted, grounded his life on the word of God. He believed what God said and he lived it out. We'll talk about that next week when we get to the final two verses here of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy, you can follow my faith in believing God's promises. Timothy, you can also follow my patience. Paul was so patient with the people that he's talking to Jesus about. We'll see in a minute that they did all kinds of awful things to him. And yet he continued to go back to them time and time again. Paul was a loving person to the rich, to the poor, to the educated, to the simple. Paul loved people. Timothy, follow in my footsteps in that. And Paul persevered through really hard things. Again, he is in prison as he's writing these words to Timothy. Some think that he was chained to a guard at all times. You think that uh, you ever get like overwhelmed with people, especially post-COVID, right? Like you're in crowds and you're like, wow, I'm not used to this. I just need some alone time. Paul potentially was, was chained to someone constantly. And yet he persevered. He continued to trust in Jesus. Such great characteristics, aren't they? Don't you want your life to have these seven markers? I pray that that the leadership here of Calvary Church is known for these things by the grace of God. I pray that the people of Calvary Church are known for these markers. That when someone meets a a member, a tender of Calvary Church, they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen people like you. (laughs) You have things like this. The great thing about Paul was that Timothy got to just live with him day in and day out. I love that even right now, our college students, many of our college students, about 53 of them, are at Lake Shasta on our annual houseboat trip. And they're getting to live life together as well as live life with our college leaders. Not just on a Sunday morning, but they get to see them day in and day out. I pray that our leaders exhibit this type of faith. Our students just returned back from Hume Lake last night. Any Hume Lakers here? They're all sleeping in (laughs) right now. I pray that our, our Hume counselors, 
lived out some of these things as, as they lived life this week with our students. In two weeks is VBS. We have a chance to, to live out things like this to the students who will be sitting in the very seat that you are in right now. God, may, may this be the people of Calvary. And so my question for you is, as you live your Christian life, as you walk in faithfulness to Jesus, who's following you? Who is behind you, stepping in the steps that you're stepping in? Who are you mentoring and discipling in, in a Paul and Timothy type relationship? I'm hoping that a name is coming to you right now. Or maybe a potential name of someone that you could say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. A faithful Christian life will attract followers, much like a mosquito is attracted to the entire Doan family, minus me. <laughs> but a faithful Christian will also, as we said, will attract foes. Look at verse 11. It says that persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them the Lord rescued me. Notice in your Bible or on the screen, uh, persecutions is plural. So Paul didn't just suffer one time for, for living out these characteristics of faith. But no, he multiple times suffered. In fact, and just to remind Timothy, he mentions three specific times that, that he was persecuted for simply walking with Jesus. The first one happened at Antioch. You can read about this later on in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 50. Paul is in this city of Turkey, and he gets driven out by the city because the leaders of the city don't like this message of Jesus. He's attracting foes, opponents. So then he goes to Iconium, which is uh, modern-day Konya, Turkey, the fourth largest city in Turkey today. And Paul is there preaching about Christ, and, and those that are there don't like his message. He attracts more foes, and they pick up rocks, and they attempt to stone him with the rocks. And Paul escapes. But again, going back to that idea of perseverance, Paul doesn't give up, and he moves over about 19 miles to Lystra. Lystra is the hometown of one Timothy. So Timothy most likely is here in Lystra watching Paul suffer for the gospel. He's watching him be persecuted and yet remain faithful. In Lystra, the scriptures say in Acts chapter 14 that Paul is stoned again with rocks and then left for dead. The people who had some experience in, in doing things like this considered that Paul was dead. And I love the Bible. Sometimes it's just so understated, isn't it? It just says in one of the verses in Acts 14, then he got up and went on his way. <laughs> so I'm just picturing like Paul left for dead, everyone leaves. And then he kind of like opens his eyes and goes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and go. And yet he continues to preach. He continues to talk to people about Jesus. It's amazing. The faithfulness of this guy, single-minded to say it's all about Jesus. 
came across this quote from, um, let's see here, St. Ignatius. It says this, Come fire, cross, battling with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, mangling of limbs, crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil, only let me get to Jesus Christ. You see, Paul wasn't the only person who was persecuted. Really, the first 300 years of the church is filled with people facing suffering and persecution, not for anything anything they had done, but simply for proclaiming Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if this was the lyrics to one of our modern-day worship songs? (laughs) Probably wouldn't get a lot of airtime on the fish or other places, right? And yet St. Ignatius is saying that, like, man, you can do whatever you want to me, but whatever you do to me, it just gets me closer to Jesus. What great words. Probably words that we should be getting ready to say as well. Because I want to give you a warning that Paul gives to Timothy that I believe applies to us. It comes from verse 12. It says, Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who will be persecuted? The godly. Will some of the godly be persecuted? What does it say? All. All will be persecuted. Whoever wants to live a faithful life for Jesus will face some form of persecution. We need to hear this today, Calvary Church. Because this is not a message that we, we easily embrace or maybe have heard a lot in our Christian life. All who are wanting to live faithful to Jesus will face some form of persecution. Now, here in the West, that may look different than other places in the world. But if you're living faithful to Christ, if, if the markers of Paul are, are true of you and you're attracting followers to Jesus, you'll also attract foes. Maybe it's a family member who, despite you being humble and gracious, always looks for opportunities to criticize Christianity in your presence. Maybe it's a neighbor who watches you pull out of the driveway every Sunday morning to come here and thinks you're nuts and won't allow their kids to play with your kids you might invite them to this place. (laughs) Maybe it's your boss at work who skips you over for a promotion because you're not willing to kind of fudge the books like other co-workers are. There's different forms of persecution. Here in the West, we've been pretty blessed not to experience a lot of actionable persecution. It's come, even as uh, one theologian says, it's come more in hatred in heart and in words, but not in actions. But the day may be coming. The day may be coming quicker than we realize. When we attract foes who not only hate us in, in heart and in words, but also begin to hate us in actions here in the West. We need to be prepared for this. So what should we do if we're expecting this type of persecution to come? 
Well, look at the verses it says here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 13. First says, but evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the why we have foes is because of that. Because there's evil people, there's imposters who act like Christians but really aren't, and they're deceived, and it gets worse. But then look at verse 14. You, however, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, when we face persecution in heart or words or even action, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Paul's telling Timothy, as he's in chains, continue. Go for it with Jesus. Don't shrink back. And then look at verse 15. And that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is pointing Timothy and he's saying, continue, don't give up. Lean into the sacred writings which we know in the context here is the Old Testament scriptures. God's faithfulness, God's promises. Paul's telling Timothy, lean into the word of God for hope. So you're reminded of who God is and the promises that he gives you. Promises like John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world, you'll face tribulations, but take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Paul's telling Timothy, Dig deep into those promises when persecution comes into your life. And it's not just if, it's a matter of when. Because we don't have tons of of tangible examples just even around us here at Calvary of, of persecution when it comes to actionable items, I wanted to point you towards a friend of mine from Iran. He's a pastor in Iran who was arrested and put in prison, the most notorious prison in Iran, for five years, including over a hundred days in solitary confinement. What was his crime? Simply trusting and believing and living for Jesus, and then asking other people to follow in his footsteps, to follow Jesus as well. His name is Farshid Fathi. Some of you might know that name. We had the privilege here at Calvary to actually pray for him while he was in prison. In fact, in our missions office, we had a bookmark with his picture on it. And every time anyone would walk into our missions office here at Calvary, they would see Farshid's picture as a reminder to pray for him. Pray that, as Paul tells Timothy, that he would continue in his faith, that he would lean on the promises of God and not give up. And by God's grace, Farshid kept his faith in Jesus through those five years of prison. I had the privilege to interview Farshid on Zoom a couple weeks ago, and I wanted you to see a little bit of it. It's about 10 minutes. Hear Farshid's story of walking with Jesus through persecution. Watch the screens. I 
I started a church from my home with two families. Then from two families, we grew up to four families, from four families to 10 families. So in five years, from 2005 to 2010, we planted 48 churches and very faithful people. They, in 20 cities of Iran, people, they were coming to Christ family by family, group by group. If one week no one was coming to Christ, that was a very big question mark in, in our mind because every week people, maybe five, 10, three people, they were coming to Christ in our uh, network. Actually, at that time, we were the largest underground church in Iran. And, and we were growing so fast and it was very interesting. I can tell you more than half of our church members, they were very much involved in evangelism because they were so excited about their faith. It's like someone who found a treasure. So when you have a treasure, you want to share it. You want to give it to the others. You cannot keep it, especially if the treasure is too big. Your home is not enough to keep it. So we were sharing. But of course, we knew there, there will be a cost for that because um, as you said, you know, whoever, as Paul said to Timothy, whoever wants to follow Christ will suffer. And we also, as a follower of Christ, we were facing different type of, type of persecution. But the most highlight one came, happened to us in December 2010. Well, as I said, you know, uh, we were growing. And so the intelligence service, they were so concerned about us. So on 26th of December 2010, they attacked at six in the morning to all of our churches, especially to the church, to the leader's house. But on that time, I was not in my home. I was in my mother-in-law's home and also my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law, they were two of our key church leaders. So they came to arrest them and they didn't recognize, I am the senior pastor, I am the, I'm the main guy. Anyway, they were searching for the Bibles, for the, computers all they had and after two hours I realized they didn't recognize me so uh, then I they were they were taking my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law as two leaders to prison and I saw their faces that but and they were looking at me that's what's going on anyway but they didn't recognize me so I took my daughter's hand and my son's hand and I told them okay if you don't need me here I need to take my children to the school and they said yes so they gave me back my cell phone and i just come, came out from the home i tried to call the other leaders but then i realized they arrested all of them and then i received a full phone call from my home um, but i'm here my wife is here my family they are here who is calling me people from intelligence service they were calling me and they told me you should come and turn yourself in and i said okay i will think about that but i was thinking when when my our people they, are, they were taking my people to prison. The people, I discipled them. I sent them for our three months course in Turkey. I lay hand over them, anoint them and send them for church planting and all this stuff. Uh, it was very, very special moment for me. I remember I was, dri I was driving, my daughter was seven years old at that time. My son was two years old. And I was think thinking, what shall I do? And I remember John chapter 10 said, the one who is the hired, when he see the wolf is coming, he leave the flag and run away. But the, the, but the good shepherd lay his life for his people. And I was asking myself, am I a hired or a shepherd? Okay, I was supporting by Elam and by people from the church, but it was not because of the money. And so I have decided to go and be with my people and share in their suffering. So that was the last 
day I actually um, had the chance to hug my children because after that, that was the last day when I said goodbye to them. I didn't see my daughter for 10 years and three weeks until a few months ago that she came to Turkey and we saw each other after 10 years. But this time she was 17. The last time I saw her, she was seven. Until today, after 10 years and a half, unfortunately, I couldn't see my son. He is 13 years old now. That was the last day I said goodbye to them. And then I turned myself in to be with my people in the time of suffering. And they kept me for 361 days in solitary confinement and locked up room. And I can tell you that's not the dark part of my life. I really, honestly, I'm so thankful because I was not alone in this journey. Sometimes people, they are telling me, oh, Farshid, thank you for your faithfulness. You stood for the Lord. I look at them and I said, hey, you don't know the real truth. The truth is he was faithful to me. He stood for me. He fighted for me. Otherwise, this moment didn't exist. And I am sure people from California in the United States, maybe people from Calvary Church in all over the world, you said you had my picture and you were praying for me. And it's really encouraging. So because no one can make it alone, I, I wouldn't make it made it without your support and without your prayer. This is very briefly just I wanted to share what happened. Uh, it was 25 days after they were arrested me, I remember very well. And you know, even you're in solitary, it's absolute silent. Even you're not allowed to say anything. So I remember one of our brother, he was singing, but not from his cell. They, they took him for fresh air and very slowly he was singing a song. And for the first time, because I wanted to send a sign to him and tell him, hey, I'm here, I started to sing from my cell. And then uh, all of a sudden, the door of my cell got open for maybe 30 centimeters, something like that. And I went and said, hello, sir. And then a guy, he started beating me. As soon as I said, hello, sir, he started to beating me right and left, very, very strongly, very fast, just right and left, right and left. And then he took me to the corner of my cell and the last one, when he hit me on my right side or my left side, my head went to the wall, blood came down, I sat down. And then uh, he was a guy about 50 years old. He was from intelligence service of Iran. And then uh, my face got you know, hurt and uh, my head also. Then at the same night, the same guy came to check me because you know, when you're in solitary people, the, the guard is coming to checking you if you're alive because some people they die in solitary like Sattar Behesti, one of our friends just when they opened the door he had a heart attack and he was dead so when this guy came to check me at the same night even though my face still was not okay I went to him I said excuse me sir can I say something and he didn't say a word just he was looking me look at me with a solid face and I told him, you know, since I became a Christian, I was thinking when Jesus says, if someone hit you at the right side, show the left side. When I was thinking about that verse, I was wondering if one day in real life, if someone hit me in the street from the right side, am I, do I have enough faith and courage to show the other side? But just I wanted to say thank you. You made it very easy for me because you already choose the other side of my space and he didn't put me in a, in a difficult position and situation. And he was just looking at me again. And, but then I told him, but I want to tell you one thing. I am praying for you and your family. May the Lord bless you. And when I said like that, he looked at me, you're praying for me? 
one of your eyes is blood and the other one is revenge. I said, no, sir, God knows it's, that's not true. No blood, no revenge. So he shut the door. The other day, again, he came to my cell to check me, to see how I am. I went close, very friendly. How are you, sir? How is your family? Again, he closed the door, but after three, four times, actually, we, we became friends. And I remember, you know, and, and I, you know, since we were talking about the suffering and persecution, that's a part of our life that we cannot separate it. And when we bless those who curse us or, or hurt us, it's really, there is a, so much power on that. I really experienced it. Um, 21st of December, 2015 till 4, in, 4 p.m. I had no idea they are gonna release me. And I remember, you know, I was in a room here in the, in, at the beginning of corridor and there was a corridor here. And at the end of the corridor was a washroom. And I was in a washroom about six in the afternoon, 6 p.m. And then just before I come out of the washroom, I, I heard all the prisoners, they are singing, they are clapping hands, they are singing a song. Because maybe, because it seems when I was in the washroom uh, from the prison, and they said, Farshid Fatih is released. And you know, this is the picture of heaven for me. Why? Because when I came out from washroom and I saw all these people, they were standing in the line, they were clapping hands, they were singing, some they were crying. When I was passing, there was somebody was saying, hey, five years finished, well done. That's the picture of heaven for me. Because Jesus says, don't rejoice because the demons listen to you, but rejoice even more because your name has written in the book of life. And I believe one day Jesus will say, Matthew, and, and Matt, you will run to get the crown of life from him. And all the saints, all the believers, and your name and the other name, will they, they will clap hands for us to go and they get the crown of life from his hands. That's why the day they released me is the picture of heaven for me. And I remember I passed through all these people, I took my bag, I said goodbye to them. And so finally, after 1,820 days, I came out from prison. You know, I remember when I was in prison, I released a letter and the name of the letter was, there is no complaint. And I mentioned in that letter, when Paul says, Paul, the one who was under the persecution a lot, who suffered a lot for the sake of the gospel, Paul said at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, the light and momentary affliction we have. I said, I want to see Paul in heaven. I said, the light and momentary. If it's light to compare with the glory of eternity. If Paul said, uh, in that letter I mentioned, if Paul said light and momentary affliction, so Farshid should say nothing. <laughs> because, you know, this is, the, this is Paul's perspective about the persecution and suffering. This is the first thing, don't, don't take it as a big deal because it's a part of Christian life. We cannot separate suffering from walking with the Lord. And the second thing is, is very personal, but I got it from prison is I realized suffering is the highest manifestation of love. I mean, if we wanna see how deeply in love with someone, we have to see how far we are ready for that someone. So then maybe we can take it as an opportunity to express our love to our loved one because the highest manifestation of love is suffering. This is all I can say.
Pretty, hum- pretty humbling, huh? Hear his story. Uh, today in the courtyard here at Calvary, we have Open Doors USA, who is, stands in the gap, leads prayer initiatives and, and helps information to, to let the church know about those who are being persecuted today and in real time. So I encourage us that here on campus, go visit uh, their table in the courtyard before you leave and, and look for ways that you can pray for the next Farshid uh, that's undergoing persecution right now. I came across this quote by Leonard Ravenhill. It says, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, kind of speak about the church in the West, it's married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. A day is coming, Calvary Church, when we'll be called to remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Don't let that scare you. Even as Farshid experienced in those moments, Jesus will be with us. So let's resolve as followers of Christ to be faithful in this Christian life, to attract followers of Jesus through our lives, and to expect persecution and remain faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, What a privilege it is to know you and to point others towards you. May our lives attract many to you, Jesus. And Father, we understand, we acknowledge that persecution will be part of each of our Christian experiences. God, would you fill us with your spirit to remain faithful to you in those moments. And Lord, as the heat of persecution rises here in the West, may we bring you glory. In the name of Christ, and we said as a church,